Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Jude 3. Just Jude 3. It doesn't have any, any chapters. There's one chapter. There are 20-some verses in this small book, 25 verses. And Julian wondered how I was going to get 12 months, 12 sermons out of this one scripture. And in fact, there is only one phrase that is essentially the basis of the sermons that are coming up. We're going to go to other portions of Scripture, and we're going to deal with a number of doctrinal issues. And really, there, this one phrase uh, is found right in the middle of this verse, but I want to read the whole verse to you. And this is Jude, the brother of Jesus, writing and saying, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Very important phrase. You need to see that. Contend for the faith that was once entrusted to all the saints. The premise of these messages, the basis of these messages that I'll be preaching over the next few months, I believe that we are living in a time where we, our faith, is under attack. It's under attack by Satan, our adversary. One of the ways that he seeks to undermine our personal faith, our belief, or our trust in God, is to begin to undermine or call into question the faith. Now, there's a difference. Your personal faith is your ability or your trust in, ability to believe, or your trust in God. The faith is the embodiment of what we believe. Hope you understand that. That's where we're headed over the next several months. Twelve messages. I want to deal with twelve doctrinal issues. Twelve important things that are essentially non-negotiables within the church. A lot of times we get hung up on some of the diverse and, and separate issues within a body. There are churches that split over... You know, the silliness of what color carpet you have in a building or, you know, how loud the music is or how, you know, what kind of songs are sung. That's all craziness. And, and for us to get hung up on those issues is really, those are side issues. Those are, are non-essentials. Those are things that are really, in the end of it all, in the grand scheme of things, unimportant. But today, I want to deal with the very first important issue within the church. And I believe that it is an issue and it is something that we need to understand that the devil is trying to undermine and diminish the power of the Word of God in your life and the importance of the Bible, what it means to you. There are a lot of people who wear the label Christian and they don't pick up their Bible. They don't look into it to see what it says. They don't read the Bible. In fact, you might find that there are people who will give their opinions about whether or not the Bible is the Word of God, whether or not the Bible is something that is important to everyday life. And those opinions will vary from one to the other. And many of those opinions will give a diminished view of the Bible. Most of the people giving those opinions are individuals who have never cracked one open. It's amazing how many authorities we have on the Bible and so few read it, let alone study it. 
You know, as Christians, we want the, the Word of God to be the authority for our lives. We had better know the Word of God. We had better know how to rightly divide the Word of truth. And so today, I want us, as we contend for the faith, there is a fight that we're in, and the fight is not against the media, the liberals, or the, you know, whoever might show up and and say, well, we don't believe the Bible, and it's antiquated and outdated, and it doesn't have any good within our society anymore, and these aren't the 50s or the 60s anymore, and, you know, we're moving on, we're more intellectuals. No, we're not in a fight with individuals like that, but we are contending for the faith as Christians against the enemy. And we have to recognize that we are in a battle. So we are, over the next 12 messages, going to contend for the faith. What we believe. And today we are going to contend for this belief and our belief that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Now you may say, Pastor, I already believe that. In essence, you're preaching to the choir. We already know it. We already believe it. I'm glad you believe it. But here today we have to recognize the importance of being equipped within our belief. What it is that we believe. Turn to 2 Timothy in verse three, or chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. The Bible says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, all Scripture, notice that, all Scripture. Now, more than likely, Timothy is refer, Paul is referring to the embodiment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament had already been formed. The 39 books that we have of the Old Testament at that point was already in major use. Remember this, that Jesus sanctioned the 39 books of the Old Testament when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. He said, this is scripture. This is the word of God. In another place, it says that and Jesus said that this cannot, the word of God, the scripture cannot be broken. We are neither to add to it nor take away from it. But Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. That is very important. Those words, God-breathed, hyphenated in the NIV, literally means inspired. Now, this is not inspiration like you and I would understand it, like somehow, you know, we heard a, a song that really inspired us. This great song we've been listening to in, in our house lately by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. It's so Beautiful, so wonderful, inspiring song. Another song I picked up recently just inspires me. It's an inspiring song. This is not the kind of inspiration we're talking about. Literally, it means how the NIV translates it. It is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I believe, and I take this for myself and for our church as well, the very first of the beliefs that we must base our lives on as Christians is the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Let me read it to you as I understand it and as I believe it within the uh, fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God, which I'm a part of. The Scriptures, both the Old 
and New Testaments are verbally inspired, they are the verbally inspired Word of God, and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. If anybody gives anything, as Paul mentioned, if he said, even if an angel comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. There is nothing outside of what has been revealed in this book for our rule of faith. If somebody gives some kind of a strange doctrine and you're trying to search for a scripture and they're using one or two little words out of one verse that has nothing to do with the passage that it's found in, they're coming up with some kind of strange thing. You need to chuck it out. Warren Wearsby once wisely said, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. And I believe that that is the case when we come to the Word of God. The Word of God is the infallible, inerrant, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. The Bible is superior to all other religious books in content. It sets up the highest moral standards. It, it, it urges us in the most absolute or to the most absolute obedience. It admonishes us to be obedient to the word. It denounces every form of sin. And yet it informs that sinner how they may come to salvation. No ordinary man could write a book like that. Man does not write books that denounces mankind. You, you, you say, Pastor, I don't believe that. That's not true. Go look in your, in your bookstore, in your library, and see how many self-help books they have. How many books of uplifting, positive thinking, and, you know, you're the, you're the best, you're the greatest, and all of those things. The Bible speaks against humanity, but it does so to bring humanity to the place that it recognizes it needs a Savior. It provides a way of escape and a way out and a way of salvation. Only God could come up with an idea like that. The Bible displays a remarkable unity. Although it took some 40 authors and approximately 1,600 years to produce the 66 books that compose the Bible, in, a sen in, in essence, the Bible is one book. Because of these very important facts, it has one doctrinal viewpoint. It has one moral standard. It has one plan of salvation. It has one program of the ages. And it has one world view. There is a thread that runs through all of these 66 books. Taking 1,600 years to compile and compose over 40 different authors. Listen, if you and I sat down and we decided to write a book on a particular topic, you and I would probably butt heads from time to time about the content and about what it is that we're writing and whether or not something is true or is right. You get 40 people in 11 different countries, three different continents, putting together something that would be in agreement and only God 
could accomplish that. Beyond this, the Bible was originally written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and no folks, it did not come out in King James English. For those of you who are still bound, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I love the King James. I just don't speak that way. Yeah, I, I'm, I, the last time anybody spoke, the, but it's poetic. It's beautiful. If you're carrying the King James today, you want to just beat me up after the service, you can do that. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, it came out in three languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. What we have there, and then had to be translated King James commissioned a wonderful, wonderful thing. And that lasted for a long, long time in terms of English as as the English language is concerned. But as we understand it, just a few facts about the Scripture. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 31,173 verses, and 773,692 words. There are over 1,200 prophecies, and the Bible has been translated into over 2,000 languages. And there are, you say, well, how do we arrive at the Bible? Well, and I'm going to briefly give this to you because I need to move it along. There are five basic principles that were applied to a book or a letter before it could be accepted into what is called the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture, the word canon, simply means a standard or a rule. What we understand, the 66 books, is the canon of Scripture. These five basic principles are important. First of all, was it written by a prophet, an apostle, or a close associate of one or the other? Was it written by an apostle, a prophet, or a close associate? associate. Was the writer confirmed by acts of God? Was there a stamp of approval upon that individual by certain acts of God that we can find within the sacred scripture? Did the message tell the truth about God and man? Did it tell the truth about both God and mankind? As we look around, as it speaks to mankind today, we can ascend to the fact that, yes, it does tell the truth. This one I love. Does it come with power? Oh, absolutely. How many know the Word of God has changed your life? It came with power to your life and changed you. And finally, was it accepted by the people of God? And as we understand it, this book did not just appear on the scene a couple hundred years ago. It was accepted by the time, by 200 B.C., that is before Christ, the Old Testament as we know it now and have it in our Bibles was, was discovered, the inspiration was discovered and already considered the sacred message of God. Imagine that. 39 books by 200 B.C. was already agreed upon that that was the inspired Word of God. By 400 A.D., the New Testament, as we have it in our scriptures and in our Bible, was already accepted. The Bible is considered to be 
what is known as a closed cannon. In other words, it will never, you can never put anything into it and you will, there will never be any more. There will never be any less than what we have. This is it, folks. Nobody can add to it or take away from it. And while many people stand in judgment on whether they feel the word of God is true, throughout the entire Bible, it not only claims to be God's word to mankind, but in turn, it stands as the judge of men's hearts. You don't need to turn there, but listen to Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The Bible says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, something that theologians have very difficult times trying to distinguish between these mystical things that are within us, the soul and the spirit. Joints and marrow, in other words, it's making its way to the deepest recesses of your life where nobody else can go. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You ever read something in the Bible and all of a sudden realize that the Word of God is speaking to you? And it's saying, you know what? you got to shape up. Some changes have to take place. There are three important truths that I want to present to you regarding the Bible and our belief that it is the Word of God and not some outdated book containing mythological stories with nice moral teaching. This is not a myth. The first truth is this. Please hear this. The scripture is the embodiment of divine revelation. It is the embodiment of divine revelation. What is revelation? Very simply put, revelation is the revealing of something that was not known. That's the scripture is God's revelation to mankind is absolutely clear from almost every book in the Bible. As you read through it, you get the sense and the understanding that this came by divine revelation. In fact, there are a number of writers who point this fact out. They point out the fact That no scripture came by the will of man. No prophecy came by the will of man, but it came by the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that as men were moved along or carried along by the Holy Spirit, the word of God happened. The wonderful thing about this is that we can know that everything that God wanted to say to you and to me so that we could come to the place of salvation and live lives that are pleasing to him is found within this book. You don't have to look anywhere else. Don't go to Barnes & Noble to try to figure it out, folks. It's right here. Pick up this book instead of whatever other book you're trying to read right now. Begin to read the Bible and begin to understand what God has to say. This is the divine revelation of God. Now, what has that divine revelation supplied us with? Well, revelation supplies us with this understanding. Listen, that God is omniscient, that he is holy, he is loving, and he is kind, and he is also omnipotent. So since he is omniscient, he knows all about your needs. 
Since he is holy, he cannot excuse in and take me- sin and take men in his fallen condition into fellowship with himself. Since he is loving and kind, he may be moved to search for and put into operation the plan of salvation. That is because he is kind. And since he's omnipotent, he can not only reveal himself, but he also set forth in writing such revelations of himself that are needful to experience salvation. Brothers and sisters, we serve a powerful God. A God who had a desire from the beginning to reveal himself to mankind. In fact, the opening words of Scripture is simply this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Brothers and sisters, he was there in the beginning. His desire is to reveal himself to you. And to mankind. And this is why we have the Bible. The question is how reliable is revelation? Well, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. It would stand to reason that if God were going to convey something to mankind, it would be without mistake. It would be without error. There would be no distortion of truth. There would be nothing that you and I could look to and say that is in fact contradictory and therefore it is canceled out. But instead, brothers and sisters, we have to rely upon the revelation that God has given. If God does something different than what he has revealed in the word, then either God is a liar or what he has revealed is a lie. And he has done neither. He will always be true to his word. He will always act in accordance with what has been revealed in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, in speaking about the gospel that he had received, reveals to the Galatian church that the source of his revelation was completely reliable. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12. He says these words. He says, I did not receive it from any man. What Paul taught and preached, he said, I didn't get this from some scribe or some, you know, some other apostle. He said, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation, get this, from Jesus Christ. You can't get any more reliable than that. It's coming to him through Christ. Divine revelation. We believe the Bible is the, the embodiment of divine revelation. The second thing that we need to understand about the Bible is that all Scripture is inspired. We go back to that verse that we read earlier in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. We'll get to that in just a moment. But what do we mean by inspiration? Well, we mean simply this, that the Holy Spirit so guided and superintended the writers of the sacred text, making use of their own unique personalities. Now, some people think that somehow it's this, you know, it was this automatic thing where the writers fell into a trance and therefore God moved their hands and, you know, he came down and divinely wrote with these people. Look, if God wanted to do it that way, he'd have just skipped over mankind. But instead, he wanted to use Paul's personality. 
He wanted to use Peter's personality. John, when you read the book of John and you read the epistles of John, you see a distinct difference just in the whole feeling of the book as compared to Peter and Paul when you're reading in the New Testament writings. You read the book of Isaiah, it's very different in its tone and in its attitude of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah comes off in a whole different way than Isaiah does, but you understand that all Scripture is inspired. He made use of their unique personalities that they wrote all that God wanted them to write and without access, excess, or error. You need to know that this is a dependable word. Somebody says there's so many contradictions in the book. I've heard that so many times, and it's an amazing thing how many people, you ask them to find, well, where are the contradictions? Uh, Well, they're just there. Show me. No, they're just there. How do you know? Have you read it? Well, a long time ago. My English teacher pointed it out in school one day. Well, Brothers and sisters, don't go on what your English teacher says. Don't go on what somebody else says. Open the Word of God and begin to read. And you will find that when you read that Scripture will interpret Scripture. It won't contradict itself. It will, in fact, come together for you. So we understand that the Holy Spirit moved upon these men to write what it is that we have. It was not written by men. It was written by God through these men. As these men yielded to the Holy Spirit, God breathed into them what he wanted to say. Paul, in his own personality, in his own unique style, writing in in Greek, he wrote it down, but it is what God wanted to say to you and to me. Inspiration was an act of the Holy Spirit that occurred for the New Testament writers and the Old Testament writers as well. I mentioned this verse earlier, but let me read it to you. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. Man didn't think it up. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration is an act of the Holy Spirit that took place for those writers. Now, we don't have much to compare it to because the Holy Spirit does not move upon us in the same way anymore. Why? Again, because it's a closed book. You can't add any more to it. Take anything away from it. You, you, I hear preachers all the time on television. I got a revelation from God. Be careful. If they're about to add something to what's there, then they, brothers and sisters, are in a dangerous place with God. You need to be discerning. You need to take a look at that and say, but wait a minute. This was an act of the Holy Spirit for these writers. This is a closed canon. The very words of Scripture are inspired. This is also very important. The very words that we read are the inspired Word of God. We go back to what Paul told Timothy in that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all Scripture is inspired. Now, you'll have people say to you, well, the thoughts are inspired. No, the words are. We believe in the verbal inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every word pieced together as it is, it is inspired. What God wanted to say. 
the thoughts as they are related to spiritual matters, some will say. And as they're related to religious matters, they're inspired. But, you know, you start getting into history and, and science, any kind of science. that the, book, the Bible is not a book of science. It is not a book of history, though it contains history and science. And there has been no science that has confirmed what has been found in the Bible quite like archaeology. Archaeology has lended its hand in such a great way to both confirming the historical views and the scientific views that are found within Scripture. So don't, when somebody comes along and says, well, it's inspired, but only for spiritual and religious matters. No, it is inspired for history, for science, for religious matters, for spiritual matters, pointing everyone to the fact that they need Christ. There is reliable history in the Bible. There is reliable science. But this is not a science textbook. It's not a history textbook. This is a textbook for your life. It's a textbook to lead you to salvation. The very words of Scripture are inspired. All Scripture stands as a testimony to the fact that it is the inspired Word of God. Here are just a few examples of verbal inspiration. It is evident in the repeated formulas, and I'm only giving you a few. There's a long list. I'm only going to give you a few. It's evident in the repeated formulas, it is written. You ever hear that? Jesus said those words when he was out. And he, the devil came along and tempted him. He, it is written. Jesus was referring to the words of the Old Testament. At that point, the New Testament hadn't been formed. Jesus said that that which it, uh, was written in the whole Old Testament spoke of him. You can look these up later. Luke 24 and 27 and then verse 44 as well. John chapter 5 and verse 39. All of the Old Testament spoke of him. He revealed that. The New Testament constantly equates the word of God with the scripture or writings of the Old Testament. As I mentioned before, Jesus sanctioned the entire Old Testament as being the word of God. So brothers and sisters, when we look at this, and you have people come along and say, well, it's just, you know, it's only inspired for religious matters. No, it's not. I'm amazed at the scientific community, how it is that they have become almost higher than God with their opinions, and yet many of them are simply theories and opinions that they have. Brothers and sisters, God stands above the scientific community. He stands above the historical community. He stands above it all, and he has revealed it to us by the words that are written in this book. Now, all Scripture is inspired, but here's where it comes to us. And that is that Scripture is useful for everyday life. This is why we read it. This is why we encourage you to read it. On a daily basis, we encourage you to go to the Word of God, to find out what God has to say, because this is God's divinely inspired Word for mankind, for your life. Paul said these words in the last part of that verse that we read in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
It's vitally important for us not only to have the highest view of the Bible being the inspired Word of God, but also to understand and to realize that it is God's Word to us. It's God's Word to you. You and I, brothers and sisters, we need this book. Jesus said these words when he was speaking to the devil as he was tempting him in the wilderness. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what has come out of the mouth of God for you and me. You and I need to have this word within us. There are a lot of things we could say about the usefulness of the Word of God for our lives. In fact, Paul points out some important things regarding how the Word of God is used for our daily lives. I just read those verses of Scripture. But in another place, Paul says about the Word of God that the Word is not chained. The King James says the Word of God is not bound. It knows no limits. The Word of God can do things that you and I are unable to do. When the Word of God is read, when it is spoken, when it is teached, taught, when it is preached and given to mankind, brothers and sisters, the Word of God can go into the recesses of people's lives and change them for all of eternity. This is why we must know the Word of God, because the more we know, brothers and sisters, the more powerful and effective our lives can be for the kingdom. We need to know the Word of God. We see in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 how effective the Word of God is in reaching the deepest part of man's heart. The Word of God can change your life. David confessed that God's Word was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. The Word of God helps light our way in the world that is full of falsehood, facades, and darkness. The Word of God will be your light. Yet, in the last part of Paul's statement to Timothy, where he says that all Scripture is God-breathed, we see four important and useful reasons for keeping the Word of God at the forefront of our daily lives. And it is this. The Word of God is useful for teaching. The Word of God is useful for teaching. We attempt here in this church to teach the Word of God, not only from the pulpit, not only on Tuesday evenings, but at Sunday school. A little bit later, uh, later in the service, now the children are downstairs. We attempt to teach the Word of God. It is useful for teaching. Teaching helps us to grow. It helps us to become better than what we were yesterday. As we begin to read the Bible and as we begin to teach the Word of God and how it applies to our lives on a daily basis, we, this teaching helps us to be what God wants us to be. It's so important for us. And I know Julian mentioned it earlier. It's important for us, and, and Candace as well. How important it is for us to be in Sunday school. And brothers and sisters, we are making it a habit to somehow just sort of come in whenever we feel like it. Come to church whenever we want to come to church. Listen, we're here because we're gathered around the Word of God. You ever see in some churches and buildings of other denominations, they'll put the pulpit off to the side. Maybe you have never wondered why we have the pulpit in the middle of the building. It is because the Word of God is central to us. There's a purpose for it. It's the Word of God is vitally important. We don't push it to the side. It is why we're here. 
We're here to hear the word of God preached. Because why? Well, I, I know that Spurgeon once said that preaching doesn't change anybody. But I'm here to let you know, Paul said these words, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. The word of God will change your life. Maybe you'll remember one thing. You're not going to remember everything I said. Lord knows you're not going to remember all this stuff. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, you remember one small thing. And that is the word of God getting into your life to help change you. It's useful for teaching. It's, the word is useful for rebuking. That doesn't feel nice, does it? Most of us don't like to be rebuked about anything. We don't like that. This goes hand in hand with the next thing that Paul says. The word of God is useful for correcting. Rebuking and correcting. You know, we read that and we're like, ah, I like the whole teaching part. Oh, and the training in righteousness. That's a good one too. Train me to live righteously. But you cannot live righteously unless you are willing to receive the correction of the word of God. This is why sometimes we get to the book of Jeremiah, and for us, we're like, man, it's a tough read. I'm not sure I can handle this one. You know, maybe you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, and you get to that spot, and you're like, whoo, Jeremiah, you got all, everything he had to say, it, was, it seemed like it was a negative thing against the, the people of God. Why? Because at times, God has to correct his people. At times, God has to point his finger into your life through the word of God and say, there's something that needs fixing here. There is some infection that is festering and growing. And I need to use the knife, the double-edged sword of the word of God to get down into the heart where nobody else seems to be able to get to with you. And I've got to come in there and I've got to begin to cut it out. The word, brothers and sisters, is useful for correction and rebuking. We need to remember that. Now listen, when somebody comes to you and says, I want to share with you something from the Bible, and all of a sudden it seems to be a correcting word, first of all, understand where that individual is coming from. They might not know what's going on in your life. It might be that the Holy Spirit wants to change something in you. We need to begin to accept the word of God. Now, if somebody comes up and says, now, I just don't like certain things about you. I almost said bop him in the nose. No, I don't really mean that. If they come up and say something about you, say, well, you know what? You pray for me and you walk away. All right, just diffuse the situation. But the word of God even teaches us how it is we are to correct one another's behavior. Go to the word of God. It is useful for training in righteousness. God is not interested in just breaking you down. God is interested in building you up. He's interested in training you how to live like him. You know, we sing the little chorus from time to time to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him. And yet many times we come to the place where God wants to, you know, he wants to change something within us so that he can properly train us in the way that we should go in righteousness. And we have a hard time, but we'll sing it loud and strong to be like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, part of this training is that he rebukes us so that then he can heal us. He can train us in the way that he wants us to go. In the brief time that we've had this morning, I've attempted to summarize what theologians usually spend two and three chapters in theology books trying to convey. But here today, the one thing that we need to understand, and it's so important 
that I've not been trying to be theological for the sake of being theological. I want you to understand the Word of God and how valuable it is for your life and for my life. That this book didn't just appear on the scene in the 1800s like the Book of Mormon did. It didn't appear on the scene some six, eight hundred years after Christ the way that the Quran did. This book did not just appear on the scene as, as books that speak about humanity or to humanity like Buddhism or Confucianism. All of those things, those systems of religion that are followed by people around the world and in different parts of the world. It didn't just come on the scene to somehow hopefully show them a path in which to go. This book speaks about the fact that you need a Savior. And there is a Savior that has been provided for all of mankind. There is a way out of sin. God is not looking to destroy people by his word. He is looking to help people by his word and bring them out of their sin. There are many books today that are bestsellers. They're bestsellers for a number of days, a number of months, maybe even a few years. But the Bible has outsold them all. The Bible is still a bestseller. It is one of the most requested books on someone's deathbed. It is what prisoners turn to in their chains and find the power of that book is not chained the way that they are chained. It provides comfort, healing, and encouragement, and it leads to salvation. The Word of God has to be studied. It has to be preached. It must be proclaimed. But brothers and sisters, you can do all of those things. But if you don't do this final thing, it will be absolutely meaningless. The Word of God must be lived. Because brothers and sisters, the Bible reveals that you are living epistles. Known and read by all men. Are we living according to this book? The only way to do it is to begin to open it, read it, value it, understand it just didn't happen at the whim of one man. It happened because God determined it should happen. It came on the scene because God said, I've got something to say. Through the course of history, I have a word to deliver to my people, and I want my people to know how much I really love them. Brothers and sisters, you might wonder from day to day, how much does God love me? I know that oftentimes we try to conjure up images of the cross in our mind. We try to somehow look in our situation and say, I just, I'm trying so much to see the love of God and the hand of God in my situation, but maybe you're going through a contrary hour. Maybe you're going through a dark moment in your life and you can't, like Joseph, you're, you know, you're stuck in the prison. You don't hear the word of God. The God never, never audibly spoke to Joseph the way he spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Isaac and he spoke to Abraham. He never did. Not once do we read about it. But somehow you're in the midst of all of that. You don't see the hand of God. You don't see the plan of God. You don't see what's going on. You want to know how much God loves you? Take a look at this book every now and then and recognize today that we have this word because he loves us. This book came on the scene because God said, I love you. I've got a plan for you. Can we bow our heads? Closing moments of this meeting, maybe you came into the building today half-hearted.
kind of have your, your, your place in the pew, but your heart is not really where God wants it to be, and you know that. Maybe it is that you walked into this building today and you know that you have not been serving God the way that you need to. Say, well, pastor, this has been about the word of God. Yes, the word of God speaks to you. The word of God speaks to all of us. And it lets us know that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. God has a plan for your life and for my life. Maybe it is today that you came in suffering in your life. You need some things to change. I'm here to tell you the word of God is living and it is active. I might not have the power to change anything in your life, but I'm here to tell you the word of God can change it all. The word of God can help you to grow and to be what God wants you to be when you begin to put into practice what is found in this book. You're here today. Maybe it is that you've been riding the fence. But you understand just a little bit of how important it is for you to live according to the word of God. And you'll say today, I need Jesus to come to my life, to change me, to give me a plan and a future and a hope that can only be found in him. I want to know that for my life. If you're here today and you need Jesus to do that for you, would you lift your hand and take it down? Anybody in this building? Anybody today, thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Maybe in your heart you know, you know beyond any doubt in your mind that you need God to come and to change the situation of your life. Maybe it is that there are people that you've been trying to depend on and they've let you down. Listen, the Word of God reveals to us that God will never let you down. He will always be there to help you and come through for you in the time when you need Him most. You need God to do that for you. Just take, put your hand up and say, I need prayer for that. In my life, I need the Lord to help me. In this building, can we stand together right now? And I want us to pray together as we close this meeting out right now. I want us to pray, Lord, help us to value Your Word. Lord, help us to value the fact that it is the inspired Word of God. There is no other book like it. It will change lives. There is the power of God there to change us. But today, you need God to work in your life. You need God to do something for you in this moment. You just cry out to Him and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm going to come to your Word, and I'm going to find help and strength in my situation to know that you are in control of everything, O oh God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you even now. We ask you to help us to value the Word of God as never before. Help us, Lord, to recognize the Bible did not just appear on the scene to be some book that would encourage you in the hour of crisis, but it is to train us in righteousness. It is to train us to live for you. Lord, we thank you for the power that there is in the Word of God. Help us, I pray, to elevate the Word in our lives on a daily basis. Help us, Lord, not to ignore it, not to cast it aside, not to think that somehow, because things are sometimes difficult to understand, that you don't have anything to say to us. God, you have so much, so much to say through your word. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us, O oh God. If there are those who came in today and Lord, maybe in their hearts they've backslidden. They've gone away from you. The word of God isn't part of their lives. Prayer isn't part of their lives. Lord, maybe even church attendance is a haphazard thing. God, I pray that you would help them to come to the place where they recognize that your plan is revealed in the word. You've got something in store for them as they go to your word and they find that there is a great thing that you have for them to do. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one who came into this building with problems and difficulties that are far beyond what they can imagine. God, I pray that you would help them to go to your word and find in you, O oh God, a light and a lamp that will guide their path, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would watch over this congregation, that you would help us, O oh God, to to elevate the Word of God in our lives. Put it number one, O oh God, on our daily list of things to do. And Lord, make us men and women who are pleasing in Your sight. Help us to live Your Word, O oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said together, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Live according to the Word. And as you go, greet one another today in the love of the Lord.